I've been blessed beyond measure studying about Paul's life. And when you're in a position of being the pastor and the preacher, you just say, God, why am I so blessed to get to hear what you have to say? To even have you speak to me. You get to Acts chapter 17, and Aaron, by the way, did a great job of telling us to run toward the roar. Yes. Because Paul certainly did. I mean, Paul could have been easily discouraged. He could have said, I'm not going to run toward the roar. I'm going to run away because people want to kill me. People hate me. Most of us in this room are not hated by people. We may not be liked by some of our relatives. We may not be liked by people at work. We may be online and people say mean things about us on Facebook. There may be stories written all over about us. But the bottom line is this. God loves us. He's recklessly in pursuit of us all the time, is he not? He's constantly looking for us. He's constantly looking beyond my sin and saying, I love you. And Paul had that message. And he had planted churches in various cities only to get chased out of those same cities. I don't understand how you can come to church and go to a gospel preaching church and not end up asking yourself this question, am I really saved? Am I even a Christian? These people up here, we are not here to put on a show. We are here to explain and exclaim the power of Jesus Christ. He is the lion and the lamb. He's a lion in that he roars with might around the world performing his will. And he's a lamb in the way he loves us and says, I don't care what you've done. None of it matters. I love you no matter what. I titled my message this morning, you might as well be living on Mars. Because we are definitely not getting across to the younger generation. The millennials are on the streets in their yuppie little clothes and their fancy little cars they passed off the block because they saw on Craigslist that somebody was willing to pay them to gather and rebel against the election decisions. And I think, you babies need to go home and grow up. Now, if it were me in my flesh, I would get the biggest, biggest earth mover that I could get. I would drop the front end, scrape the highway, and just shove them right out. Wouldn't you? It's like, what idiots? Grow up. The election was as fair as could be. He won fair and square, and you're all pouting now like we were eight years ago when Mr. Obama got in. Well, we endured it. The world did not come to an end, and we are here today still free. Hallelujah. Praise the Lamb, right? I think that's pretty awesome. God, you are a big God. But God wanted to do something to Christianness in this, in this United States of America to wake us up to the reality of the fact that when you pray sincerely, specifically, that's what intercession is, interceding on the behalf of a particular need. We interceded on the behalf of our nation, and you saw the pundits and everybody else on election night saying, well, there's no way to win for Trump. He would have to go through this, that, and the other thing. God will make a way when there seems to be no way. I'm losing my voice, but I've still got that charismatic black preacher inside me. It, it's not going to go away. I'm not trying to be dramatic. You say, yeah, you got a lot of sin in your life. You shouldn't even be up there. Well, that's probably true, but by the grace of God, I'm still here, and there's still somebody listening. 
And you know what? I see people's lives being changed. When you run to the roar, you may get persecuted by other people, but you find that Jesus is right in the middle of the roar because he's the bigger lion. He's the lion and the lamb. When the king went to look in the lion's den, yeah, they weren't eaten alive. Daniel, wow, what a powerful man who believed in the power of prayer and the power of God to protect him. Well, you get to Acts chapter 17, and the entire message is the message on Mars Hill, not the one over here where Rob Bell was, because I was actually looking online, because Rob Bell has aligned himself with Oprah Winfrey. Now, she claims to be a Christian, and in the very same breath, she says that Jesus is not the only way to heaven, that all religions somehow will intersect together in heaven, and I disagree. Oprah is a false teacher. She is a syncretist who think that all religions are the same, all leading a different path to heaven. It is not true. Do you know when I looked at the mixed crowd that was in, in literally in despair in Hillary's multi-million dollar election winning place in, in New York City, they spent millions on this massive set and had movie stars only to find people gasping in the room of all nationalities from all around the world who expected her to be the president. And God spoke to Christians who had prayed to say, enough of your nonsense of syncretism. The founding fathers of this country believed the truths of the word of God. In fact, those that ran for office were the preachers of the country, and they used the pulpit. They used the pulpit to build our nation. It is high time that the leadership starts back in the church rather than in the White House and in the capital of the United States of America. And it's going to happen when people realize they are lost and need Jesus. Paul's been saying it ever since. He was on this earth in Acts chapter 17. You get to verses 16 through 21, and you run into two groups of people that are pretty interesting. There was a man by the name of Epicurus, and he was responsible for Epicureanism and that whole system of belief that infiltrated the culture of Paul's day in that first century. And then there was another man by the name of Zeno who started what is called Stoicism. When you think of Stoics, you think of somebody who's very much set in their way. When I think of Stoics, I think of this election and the bickering on Facebook, and the nonsense that goes back and forth about who should be the president and how we as Christians should look for the superstar. Uh, let me just say this. No matter who got into the White House, as long as they're a human being, they're still not going to do what you had hoped they would do. Because man is man. Is that correct? Yes. But they're so stoic in the way, I'm not backing down one inch. My convictions are my convictions are my convictions are my convictions are my convictions. Well, good for you. You got convictions. But you know when I'm praying, there was a much greater chance that Mr. Trump would appoint some Supreme Court justices will come into, into office during his term. That branch of our government, not just the White House, not just the Senate and the Congress, which we kept, but the Supreme Courts will now fall in line to do what they ought to do. Not to change and make new legislation. Not to interpret the law the way they want to interpret it. Well, that's so nice, Ed. You're so nice. I thought, who's creeping up here? 
looked kind of creepy, didn't it? Like, the heck's that all about? So, by the way, Ed's gonna Ed's gonna get married. We don't know when, but hopefully before the return of Christ. He's hoping that anyway. He's hoping that he'll get his honeymoon before the return of Christ. It could happen, Ed. <laughs> and all of his friends are laughing like, maybe he won't. <laughs> and I hate to tell you this, Ed, but there's no sex in heaven. So my wife's, honey. <laughs> so you have these two guys. Epicureanism is an ancient Greek philosophical system taught by this man, Epicurus. And actually, it emphasized the goal of a happy and content life right now. That what was most important, and this is in Paul's day, this is what's going on. What was most important for you in life is to be happy here and now, to find your goals in life, to find the purpose-driven life for you. That was what Epicurus taught. He rejected both the superstitious fears of such gods that are out there, and he also rejected the fact that there was an afterlife. He did not believe that. He thought that once you died, your body returned to dust, and that was the end. Well, then there's no need to have church today if that's the case. But if the other is the case and there really is an afterlife, you should be thinking about where you stand in relationship to that. But Epicureanism basically taught this also, that you should eat, drink, and be merry, that you should live pain-free, happy as could be, fulfilling your needs and who you are as a person should be fulfilled. And he had three main criteria for this kind of life. One was the intensity in which you believe that, the intensity in, in which you believe that you were here to find out what your purpose in life is all about. Can you see how the church has moved in this direction? That most of our preaching is not about heaven and hell, but rather about finding my purpose and happiness in life. At the very same time that the Apostle Paul is preaching, to die is to live. To lose is to gain. Amen. That up is down. That in is out. That what's not popular should be your desire. That taking a stand against the flow and going against what public policy says and what our country says ought to be the standard for us, that you should be able to use whatever bathroom you want to use. That girls should be able to be boys if they want to, and boys, girls. And that you should be able to have sex outside of marriage with anyone frowning on it. And certainly, gays deserve their, to have their rights fulfilled too. They need to find out who they are, and maybe it's walking a runway as a transvestite. I don't think that God designed us to fulfill our purpose in life. Epicurus was wrong. He said the second thing should be duration. 
You should be able to endure in that strong feeling that if you strive for God's purpose for your life, if you strive hard enough, you could actually reach that. And then you will be happy. Well, I'm 65 years old, and I know this more than anything. I'm only happy when I'm holy. I'm only fulfilled when I'm pure. I only have peace with purity. I only really feel like I've fulfilled God's dream for my life when I'm totally abandoned to self and consecrated to him. It makes me want to jump and shout. It makes me want to tell everybody in the world, you don't understand, freedom is bondage to Christ. That's when you get free. Is that right? Yes. Because, you know, this is what I knew last week when Aaron started out on a weak foot there and it was really shaky. I just started amening. And he got loose. Now, you need to do that this morning, you people. You need to let your mouth, a little bit of praise come out of my, It won't hurt you, I promise. Some of you sit there and you say, you can go to hell. Because I'm not going to lift an ounce of praise to God. If you think I'm some kind of kook, nut, fanatic like you guys here, you fake fools, you can just take a big hike and I think you're missing out. You are missing out. So intensity and duration, one last thing, he said, purity. He believed that purity was this. It was pleasure that was not accompanied by pain. That was purity in the life. That my life is just rich and full because I get to have whatever pleasure I want and there's no pain that's accompanied by that. Let me just say this. Every couple that goes through divorce goes through pain. And every child that is raised in a divorced home goes through pain. Every person who puts pleasure before God lives in pain. Oh, my gosh. Ed's friend, Dakota, was in jail for months for drug dealing. Then he came to men's Bible study after, right after he got out, and he said, this is all the right stuff. This is right. And what is he headed for right now? Jail again. Because one thing we never learn from history is we don't learn from history. That your purpose in life is not to experience pleasure and not to think that there's pleasure without pain, that you won't get caught and there aren't consequences for sin. Real repentance only comes when you get caught and realize that wasn't a good feeling and you don't want that again. Is that right or not? Why is it so dead in here? I can't wait to get into a place where there's actually some reverb and I can hear the little people back there going, praise the Lord. Oh, praise God. Oh, fill me up, Lord. Just, I, I stretch. Pastor, you're not seeing my finger. It's out there. My finger. I, I'm, I am praising God with my, my finger. If you believe God is, oh, I just threw my glasses on the floor, probably bent them to pieces. If you believe that God is real, you can't help but shout. Amen. So Epicureanism was basically this guy espousing this ridiculous Ridiculous philosophy of life, like the women on The View. And women actually go there and applaud them, and they're sipping their cocktails, and, oh, Trump is just the worst scum in the world, and, man, we're just going to stay with you tonight as we watch Hillary come into her victory, and we'll keep you abreast on it all, and they're going back and forth sipping cocktails, and all of a sudden they tune back in about an hour later, and they're off the air. What about, what about staying with us, ladies? What about that? That is the way the world operates, by the way. They're all for you until you disappoint them. You like the pastor until he tells you this. Listen, you had a tragedy in your life, and you think it's now the reason to stay home. 
You use excuses why you shouldn't come to God's house when you know you're convicted when you come here. And that's exactly what you should want because if you get convicted enough and you get rid of that baggage, garbage, sin in your life, you're actually going to be happy. Yeah. See, this is the path to happiness. Obedience works. Yeah. It's not about me. It's about me saying what Paul was struggling with in his day is prevalent today. Purpose-driven life. Wow. Why did he sell more of those than almost as many as Bibles have been sold? around the world because everybody wants to find their purpose in life but they're looking in all the wrong places now the stoics were a lot like the epicureans in that in this in this respect that stoicism actually by the manzino was about sitting on a porch or the portico and analyzing life and they said this a man's happiness consists in bringing himself into harmony with the course of the universe we want to be one with the trees and one with the flowers. We want to be one with nature. What a bunch of drips. There are all kinds of forms of it. I'm going to make you mad this morning like I usually do. I texted one of the guys and said, I've been missing that man's Bible study. Did I offend you? And he, he was honest. He said, you offend me every week. That's why I go. <laughs> you see, all this new age, which is not new age, it's old age, it's way back here with the Epicureans and the Stoics, in that they sit on the porch analyzing everything that's going along. They're Christians, some of them. Some of them are Christians. It's like, well, you know what? We shouldn't compromise our convictions on anything. On anything. I was reading statistics this week about, about how churches have taken stands about things through the years. It used to be that it was wrong to smoke and drink and swear and play cards and gamble and blah, blah, blah. As they were reporting the most recent statistics on all these matters, churches don't talk about smoking anymore or drinking anymore or gambling anymore. The only thing that they're slightly focused on is living in sin in some immoral behavior when you're not married, or mega talking about gay sex. And those things are quickly being reduced in our conversation because we have to accommodate culture. I think the mandate that took place last week said this, return to what our founding fathers stood for. We want that. You know why Rock Church is going to grow? By the way, we're not going to get into the building when we thought we were, and it's okay. I can remember when I said, only nine weeks from now, and we're going to be in our new building. That was like 100 weeks ago. <laughs> if you went there right now, you'd see a massive mess. But it's coming together. It's coming together. And we will have that place as our home soon enough. God's got it all figured out. Thank you to the people who have helped us. Uh, a special thanks, by the way, to my friend Ray Denhoff for literally putting a ridiculous amount of work besides the staff, into that place. We had to get, in order to, to get, we had three bids on heating. 43,000 was the lowest, 100,000, and 150,000. In order to get the 43,000, we had to put 450 pounds of beams up on the roof, welded to the beams we have, and with a crane, had to go up there in a massive amount of work, and Ray did it all yesterday for us. Zero. 
People say, well, you shouldn't be giving people credit in because you're going to hurt, offend other people. Get over yourself. Give credit where credit is due. I have a staff that has worked endless hours and a lot of other people from our church who have been there helping. A lot. Some made commitments to give and backed out. Shame on you. That says you don't trust God. All the rest of us have the same money issues you do. It will get paid for. You'll just miss out on the blessing. The Stoics sit on the porch. They sit on the porch thinking about their pantheistic ideas. The lights have God in them. The fabric has God in it. The seats have God. God is everywhere in all things. Just join God. Do I believe God is everywhere? You bet, but not exactly like they think. I don't think it's about joining the trees. I don't think it's about joining some pantheistic mindset. To my mindset, I think it's about what the Apostle Paul said. I believe it's about what a man by the name of Petronas said once. He said this way about Athens, where Paul was. It was easier to find a God in Athens than a man. You know it's easier to find a God in Grand Rapids, Michigan, than it is a man. There are a million gods that we worship, and we don't call them gods. We have these little idols that are set up in our own liking, the images that we like, our videos, our games, our toys, our trips, our vacations, our houses, our boats, our clothes, our everything imaginary is like a god to us, but we don't call it a god. When I go to Vietnam at night, they light fires in front of their business and burn fake money to their god who never takes the fruit or vegetables they put by the road. They always rot. Because their God is rotten, dead. Buddha is dead. He doesn't live. It's a concept. It's not a reality. And verse 16 of chapter 17 says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. God, Jesus, and Paul would be unbelievably distressed if they saw our culture today. And we complain and bicker. We're never satisfied and the scripture says this, with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be present. He marched, he, excuse me, he marched directly into the synagogue when he got into a town. He went there because he wanted to straighten things out. The church in America is a mess. It is about entertain me or I'm not coming. It is about say all the right things or I'll stay home and watch Charles Stanley. He's my pastor because I don't want to deal with my issues. You don't want to deal with your bitterness? You want to deal with your grief? You don't want to deal with your greed? You don't want to deal with your immorality? We don't want to deal with our critical stoic attitude sitting on the porch and waiting for something better to, to fulfill my purpose in life. It should be enough that Jesus died and had he died for me that gives me purpose, huh? Should be enough. So Paul sat there fighting against the Stoics and the Epicureans and he went to a special place where they gathered. It was called the Areopagus. It was a place on Mars Hill, a big rock formation. When Becky and I took our our cruise that was supposedly on the church's dime, which wasn't. We paid it for it ourselves. My conference of training money gave us the right to go to training sessions, and we had one there. You here, honey? You're not saying a word today. 
It's very quiet. We went and sat there and listened to a guy lecture about what happened there, and I was thrilled. Wasn't it awesome? Here's Paul sitting with the Stoics and the Epicureans, and they're, they're not interested in his gospel like you're not interested. You are here today because your girlfriend's here. You're here today because your boyfriend's here. You're here today because your kids are here, your grandkids are here, or because your parents come here. You sit here every single week and know nothing about Jesus. You don't want to come. You come because you were begged to come, but Jesus brought you by his divine plan because he loves you. And he wants you to see the truth about this. No philosophies of the world will ever make you happy. No amount of sex or money or any other pleasure will make you happy. Your highest goal in life should not be to get a new house so you can renovate it. That's lame It'll be gone. Wood, hay, and stubble. But there were this group of people, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers that began to debate with Paul. Some of them asked, what is the babbler trying to say? They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting you're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about listening to the latest ideas. It was called Facebook. That's the setting for Paul's message and method for confronting a godless culture. So don't be surprised if you were asked, well, what is it that you really believe? Because... People are interested. They look at you and they say, well, what's different about you other than being really nerdy and weird and acting like you're really pious? What in the world is different about them? They were different. Paul was different. He wasn't afraid to talk to all these intelligent people, nor am I, because the gospel is simple. It's very simple. You see, what's happened in our country is we've censored the gospel out of our public school systems. We have censored prayer out of our public school systems. We have censored the gospel and prayer out of our communities. When, I, when the mayor of Granville spoke to me this week, I'm in my car right now, and I just thought, we, we would really like to have you come and speak. We you know you have that building down there, and we see what's happening, and we're very interested in your church, and, and we just thought we'd like to have you come and speak for 10 minutes. And the first thing going through my mind is, lay it on. Jesus is the answer, not Santa Claus. Now, I have no problem with you having a Santa Claus in your house. We have him in our house. But he's not the answer. There's no big happy Buddha that's going to bring you money or make you happy. Only Jesus. Even when I say that name in this place, it rings with power. Jesus, the one who heals. Jesus, who rids you of that sexual passion that has driven you to only think about that day and night or your passion for greed or your passion for self-fulfillment or your bitterness and your anger toward God. Only Jesus frees us from those things. We all know that. We've experienced it. Then why do we keep going back? You know, the truth is this, where there's no revelation, people are cast off. They cast off all restraint. Where there's no word of God in your life, there's no restraint. 
God wants us to understand what restraint is. Discipline myself not to do that which is evil, but to do that which is right if I really want to find happiness and purpose in life. Is that correct or not? See, the problem with us is we become an existentialist-type nation. Existentialism has devoured us as a people and as a church. And what is it? A philosophical theory or approach that emphasizes the existence of the individual person as a free and responsible moral agent determining their own development through acts of the will. Existentialism sold millions of copies of the purpose-driven life. Now, I have copies of it, and I've read it a couple times. It's basically like a daily devotion. But I am here to say this, existentialism is not going to bring you freedom. You pursuing happiness in life, there is no way to accomplish that outside of Jesus. No way. I could teach you the Bible backwards and forwards, but if you don't believe it, it's not going to do you any good. If you don't apply it, it won't do any good. I will guarantee you the reason why we have Miley Cyrus and all the Disney characters that somehow turn into very naughty people is because they have no moral foundation. Prayer and the Bible has been taken out of everything. It's, it's laughed at. The women of The View sit sipping their cocktails, espousing this ridiculous, stoic, epicurean existentialism from, to all these women in there who, ru who ruin and run their homes. Women are supposed to be in submission to their husbands. That's a laugh in our culture. There was probably the most rebellious woman on the planet running for president. She's a crook, deceptive, a liar. Do I still love her? Yes. I told my wife, I think Trump should forgive her and go on. I think you should pass right over that. Why would we want to be focused on hate? Love her and let her go. She'll learn. And her, her, her husband, they talk about Trump being a dirty pig. I think he was a pig. But I think we were all pigs and sometimes still are. All right, am, I, am I hearing the answers in this room? Men who think dirty and then say Trump's a pig? Women who think dirty and aren't going to vote for him? Beth Moore and Max Lucado and all these Christians? Oh, I was, I was molested as a child and this happened to me. And I'm thinking, get over it. It happened, it's done. You are free as a child of God. You can either choose to live in that past pain or you can choose to be victorious over it. I hope somebody's listening because you're running around, running off into the wilderness instead of running to the roar. Run to where the lion of the, and the lamb are roaring together saying there's freedom here. All you have to do is let it go. Christmas time is coming, or whatever that goofy girl's name is on that stupid Frozen movie. Let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, so I can make some more money. Letting it go is not going to do you any good without Jesus. It'll just come back. Check with the demoniac. Check with the one that Jesus landed on the shores with his disciples. The town wouldn't even go out near the cave he was in. He had so many demons, at least 2,000, because they jumped in the hogs afterward. Talk to him and see if it did any good for them to come out and do some therapy. And let's have some, let's have some zen. And let's have some <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Is anybody telling people anymore that this stuff doesn't work? You know what works? Prayer. Prayer and the belief that God's name brings healing. Amen. I don't care if I lose my voice saying it. It works. We all still slip away and God says, I still love you. I don't care about your sin. 
He doesn't care what sin you committed last week. He doesn't care if you're immoral. I, I heard last week's message at my former church and nearly threw up. The pastor said it several times. There is no biblical forgiveness to those who don't repent. That is incorrect. There is biblical forgiveness to everyone. To everyone for everyone. First of all, what he doesn't understand and doesn't teach us, the only one that we have to repent to is Jesus. That's because he's God and he doesn't sin. I don't need to repent to other men. I need to be repentant about my sin. That's simple. Even if I don't confess my sin as a Christian, it is still forgiven. Is that correct or not? That needs to be made plain. It is forgiven no matter what you do. You could go through your whole life, and the reason why you're not having victory is because you won't forgive yourself for what you did because he's already forgiven you for it. Come on, anybody out there alive? You are forgiven. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. None, period. Mr. Pastor, you need to get your act together and stop teaching the people something that's incorrect. It only creates bitterness. We need to get over the election and let it go. Let it go, let it go, let it go. I'm going to buy one of those dolls for everybody. Let it go. It was a fair and square election. Let Mr. Trump have a chance. Let them have a chance. And Exactly. My wife and I, we have this figured out. All we need to do is pray. It'll work out, won't it? Yes. Okay, I got to stop because Aaron went really short last week and it makes all of you desire that. <laughs> it was really good. I'm very proud of him. I'm so proud of the other three guys that are preachers that I won't have to preach as much now. You can hear variety. And that message was so short, it was like, oh, hallelujah, we get out of here at a quarter after. The normal guy goes till a quarter till. That's why I don't come because he talks so long. You know, you, you know here's, here's my simple message for this morning. This is what Paul preached. It's got to happen in a few minutes here. Number one, in order for somebody to get saved, they have to understand that they're lost. They have to know who they are. That's my first thing, and I want you to remember with me. Four simple things. Who they are. Say that with me. Who they are. Again, who they are. And you know who they are? They're lost. You can't get a person saved unless they realize they're lost. And they're running around trying to find all this purpose in life. And here's what Paul said. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Religious people, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship everywhere, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. This is what I am going to proclaim you. If you go to Vietnam, you ask people, who's Buddha? I don't know. Why do you believe in him? I don't know. It's like the kids on the street this week that are demonstrating. Fox News was there, and they asked a girl, who did you vote for? And she said, well, I was going to vote for Bernie Sanders. And who'd you vote for? I voted for Hillary. Give me three good reasons. I don't have any. Unknown gods. You don't even know why you're where you're at. You don't even know what you believe. You don't even get it. You come in here and think, what's the difference in what he has and what I have? He has something he believes in with all of his heart. I believe this. Without Jesus Christ and the shedding of blood and your 
personal at some moment in time acknowledgement that you are lost and confessing your sins, you are going to hell. Number one, who they are. Yep. You got to realize who you are. You got to realize that you are lost. Who they are. And the answer is lost. Number two, not only were they teaching pantheism that God was to be found in all of nature and stoicism and all the other things that you could find God some way if you just had this purpose-driven life book, you could find the answers to life. Paul stood up at the meeting and said basically this, you're lost. Number two is not just who they are, but that God is. That God is. Say that with me. That God is. Again, that God is. So we got who they are, lost, that God is. And the Bible says that he just, he's not just existent. It's not that he just is. It's that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is a rewarder of every person in here who believes in the power of God, wants to sing and dance and shout and say, oh my goodness, I was once lost, but now I'm saved. That is a reason to jump and shout hallelujah and get charismatic and not get off on some stupid Oprah tangent. I was looking online about Rob Bell's relationship with Oprah because he's thick with her and it says, no hell Rob Bell. That's what he's known for. No hell, Rob Bell. Rob Bell, why did you have to go so far? Why did you let people bother you so much? And and they treated him meanly and, and talked about him and wrote all kinds of articles all over the nation. And so it pushed him into Satan's arms to take up a position against God rather than for God because I do believe he understands the truth. He's just gone too far. Good for him. God never gives up on us, isn't it? No hell, Rob Bell, you and Opa are wrong. It's not about some mystical feeling of everybody's religious and, oh, we should just all go to fairyland and hang out together and just drift off into the wild blue yonder and put flowers all over our ridiculous van and become hippie and, and love children. Everybody become a love child now and put peace signs. Already been there, done that. That did not work. Didn't make me happy. Hair down to here, hanging out with hippies, just wearing bib overalls all the time, thinking, yeah, this is the life. No, it isn't. It's the death. It's death. It's not life. So Paul says, all men, basically what he's saying in Acts 17 is, all men are innately religious. All men are created to be worshipers. They either worship God or something else. You get that? They either worship God or something else externally. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Romans says this, that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. Every person is made to know that there's a God, aren't we? God is alive. Jesus is truth. Romans also says this, the desire was to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. You know what you do when you sin and you say, I'm going to have sex with her anyway. I'm going to mess around with him anyway. You suppress the truth of righteousness that God has given us within our body. You know what's right and wrong. I don't have to preach to you. Do you you know what's right and wrong? You know that you don't belong in the men's restroom if you're a girl. I saw this, this, oh my gosh, what's on television now is enough to drive you crazy. This eight or ten-year-old girl, she'd shaved the side of her head, and the other side was combed like a boy, and she was telling her mom, 
I want my rights to use the men's, the boys' restroom and the boys' locker room at school. And her mom, it was just, it was ridiculous. Well, I want you to have those rights too. But why do you feel you need them? And she said, I'm not, I'm not a lesbian. I think I like, I think I like boys. I just want my rights to try that and see if I might be wrong. Is that the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard? Why would you want to tell somebody what they already know is wrong? Why would you want to tell them it's okay? But that's what our culture is doing. There's a third thing you got to see before we leave. It's not just what they are or that God is. It's who God is. Oh, yeah. If you know who God is, you can't just do what you want to do. God is. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 1.25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. He's the creator, verse 24. He made the world and all things in it. God's the ruler. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with hands. God's the giver. He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and, and breath and all things. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He's the controller. He made from one man every nation of mankind, having determined their appointed times and their boundlessness of their habitation. He's the revealer. Men should seek God. He is not far from us, from each one of us. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like anything formed by the art and thought of man. Hmm. So... We ought to see who we are, what they are, and that he is, and who he is, and then what God expects, lastly. What does God expect? Because he's innately put it inside of us to choose and believe in him with all of our heart, or not to choose. So this is the deal. You've come here today. You've been coming here. You came with your family. You come with relatives. What you don't get you're not coming of your own free violation, volation, viol, whatever it is. I don't want to say violation. That's stupid. Volition. There you go, honey. Thank you. She's my little thesaurus down there. You don't come of your, your own free will. God brought you to the place today. What does he expect? His grace in the past and his wrath in the future require repentance in the present. That's what it is. His grace in the past and his wrath in the future require repentance in the present. That's what it is. Paul said, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's simple. A couple weeks ago, Bernie Denhoff was still alive, and he was talking, interacting with people. He was very much alive. His heart was beating. He was laying in a bed there. And then suddenly, like a thief in the night, his life was gone. And he's ashes. Is it over? Is that what I should tell you? It's just over? There's just a bunch of ashes in a box? That there's no hope? That there's no future? No. Because, yes, God is a God of wrath, but he's also a God of love. And he knows that Bernie Denhoff, in a men's Bible study in a room one night, looked up at me. He stayed afterwards and just stared up at me. And I said, can I help you, Bernie? He said, yes. Will you talk to me, Pastor? I need to believe in Jesus and trust him. And I went and got Ray, and we went in the back room, and Bernie prayed that Jesus would save him because that's our God. 
That is our God. Our God is a God of hope. Our God is a God of redemption. Our God is not a God of condemnation. God, is, God loves Oprah Winfrey so much, he'd like her to get back to her roots where she was taught the gospel, the truth that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is the only way to have real fulfillment in life. But she has chosen to go some wacko path of Zen and all this other garbage that she believes, and she's brought that in and mixed it with her religion and now believes that everybody goes to heaven no matter what. And I'm here to say it's not true. All have sinned and fallen short. The only way you get there is by repenting in the present right now, today. Ed, I want you to bring up as much light as you can in the room. Take these lights off me. Close your eyes for a moment. We're going to get back to the basics this year in our church. We're going to get back to the basics of this. Just shut down the... Can you shut these down or not? Back to the basics. This is what it is. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's simple, isn't it? Now, if you know that you're saved, there is not even a shred of doubt. You're living every day for Jesus Christ. You know that. I want you to raise your hand. I used to do this all the time. Stop doing it as much in recent times. You know it. There's not a single doubt. Okay, put them down. Nobody else is looking around, just me. But you know that's one thing that really bothers you? It does bother you. You don't want to act like it does, but it does. Why have churches if this is not why we come together? We come together to make sure, first of all, of that. And secondly, then, to build on that. That once Christ is in your life, he becomes the power source. You are different. You can't sit silent. You know you're going to heaven. You, my wife and I have this discussion quite often. Why do people keep blowing it in their life? Because they don't have Christ to give them guidance. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. In this room, I am not positive when I die that I'm going to go to heaven. I can't say that positively, Pastor. I need to know, and I'm the one here today that doesn't know. I admit it. Raise your hand. That's me, Pastor. In this place, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, but I need to know. Anybody in here, I have a hard time seeing in the room, but you put your hand up high. Your day is today. God says, this is the day you should get saved. This day, today, don't put it off. Anybody in the room, Pastor, I don't know, but I want to know. All right, I don't see any hands, so look up here. Time to close. There was a day like when the Englands came here, because I just saw you, and Amy realized she wasn't saved. Is that correct, Amy? My wife took her outside in the theater, right in the hallway, and they sat on the floor, and she realized, I need to confess that I'm a sinner to Christ and let him come into my life and take over, and he did. Her husband's not just, oh, I'm just not going to do that because my wife did that, but it was only weeks before he realized, I need to do the same thing. Let me just say this to every person in here who's living in the futility of trying to make it in your own power. You know it and I know it. Doesn't work. And you are not happy. And for every person in this room that understands this, the only way to happiness is this. Surrender to God. Put up the red flag or white flag of surrender and say, I'm done with that. I'm going to start trusting Jesus. Today is the day of salvation, isn't it? God, you gloriously, I'm saying this with all of us agreeing, I'm sure. When we put our hands up, we don't do it because it's the thing to do. We do it because it won't stay down. They, we want them to stay down. We want to sew them to the side of our pants. And sometimes they just I get a going. You know what I'm saying? And they get going up to the, this is uh, some church level down here. It's like, okay, we just don't do that at our church. We sing out of the Psalter. I guarantee the Psalter's probably not going to get those hands up. You start really praising God, and that hand just gets up there. The reason why so many of us can't 
put our hands out and ask God for something is because they're already full of other crap. Garbage. Those women on The View, they can't get past all the garbage and hate they have about men that have disappointed them and everything else and their rights as a woman to get rid of a baby in late-term abortion if they want to. It's murder, murder, murder. Let's take back our nation. And the best way to do it is through prayer and sharing our faith with other people. You agree? If you agree with me this morning, clap. It is, it's hard for some of us to clap even. Pastor, only time to do that is if Michigan wins. <laughs> only time I do that is if state wins. Only time I do that is if I get an eight-point buck. Only time I ever do that is I got my horse with me, a lasso. I go after them reckless ones, you know, because I'm a brute beast. Yeah, I honestly think God has a sense of humor. I really do. I right? If not, man, it's a boring Christian life. If God has a sense of humor, it's a party. It is a party, and people don't figure it out. They didn't have Paul figured out. He just went in there bold, and they're thinking, you're an idiot, man. We're going to stone you. He's thinking, let it go, man. Let it rip. Just bring on the rocks. And that's why we call our church Rock Church. It's time to rock and roll, people. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, it's time to have a party. It is. Life is a party if Jesus is the one throwing it. All right, you all have a good day because you know why? I could stand here for hours yet, and there'd be people saying, I'm glad I brought a picnic lunch. <laughs> Next week, bring a bologna sandwich, and we'll stay longer. <laughs>